You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Are you working with patients who are homeless or who are in a form of supportive housing? It's difficult to imagine how to set up telehealth in a way that's more accessible for these patients. This is Primary Care in a Pandemic. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm a medical anthropologist working in primary care at the University of British Columbia's Department of Family Practice. And I'm Morgan. I'm a family doctor working in the inner city and faculty in the Department of Family Practice. We're both part of the Primary Care Innovation Support Unit, or the ISU. All right, so this episode is going to be a bit different. We're going to hear Morgan's story of how the Kool-Aid Society is supporting virtual care options for inner city populations in their shelters and supporting housing units. As well, we'll discuss how to engage those without housing and what's worked well from his experiences with sourcing and setting up accessible, low-barrier virtual care kiosks. This is Primary Care in a Pandemic. Morgan, I know your practice is in Victoria on Vancouver Island and uh, that you work in a community health center. I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit more about your practice and the patients that you see on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. So my patient um, practice is in the inner city and it is, as I said, exclusively outreach. So I provide primary care and and addiction support and mental health support to uh, a small group of patients that are at one of the shelters or associated with one of the shelters in town. And I say associated because it's sort of a, a fairly open door and, and I try to see as many people as I can. So it's really low barrier. And then I'm connected to the community health center, of course, that I've been at for the last 15 years. And so I have a lot of extra support and resource. And we have then a small outreach team that goes out to the shelter at different times over the week to stay connected with our patients. So we have nursing care and, and counseling support, as well as the, the team of people at the shelter and then myself. So Morgan, what happened to your practice at the start of the pandemic? So Sarah, you know, what happened for us was, I mean, like everybody, two months ago, suddenly out of necessity, we had to change and needed to figure out how we were going to support our patients when we wanted to stay safe and keep them safe. And I remember sitting around in uh, in uh, one of the shelters in, in the medical room, realizing that was probably the last morning that I was going to be there. And we didn't have any solution or option for how to continue to take care of the patients that that I've been seeing for years there. So how has the way that you've all been providing care shifted since the start of the pandemic? Um, We kind of made the call two months ago, said, well, we don't know if it's going to be safe. And so we just decided at that point, no, we weren't going to be able to come in until we could figure out a solution and, you know, looked at a whole bunch of options as to what is the solution. And what kind of things did you look at? So PPE you know, is it phone? Is it seeing people outside? Is it telling people to go somewhere else? But we didn't, we didn't want people to sort of migrate across town just because, you know, I've got a fever and a cough and I'm going to walk across town past a bunch of other people to go to the community health center. So I was trying to figure out what would work, what would work well and, and also be something that we could implement, uh, you know, with, with what we had right now. And you aren't new to the idea of telehealth and virtual options for care telehealth and informatics as part of my research, but in some ways it hasn't touched my practice because of the accessibility factor. The part that I was working on was trying to think about how I could get the, the video telehealth into the, into the shelter. My challenge was, how can I do that for my basement? Because at that moment I was self-isolating as well. I had developed uh, an upper respiratory tract infection, so I had to do the 14-day self-isolation and patients needed to be seen somehow. So I was trying to figure out a solution. And so I know you kind of came up with this idea of these virtual 
kiosks. But what was the biggest sort of design challenge that, that you had when you were thinking about how this might work? I think the, the, the constraint I had was uh, what can I order in and what was reasonably, you know, scalable so we could do it to more than one place and what then could be used by the staff there without any, any extensive training because it was going to be sort of, you know, dropped in and then, then it was going to be used by different staff in different days. And it, so it couldn't be complex. So can you describe uh, what you've settled on? What, what do these kiosks now look like? It sounds more impressive the way I described all of the constraints. Basically, it's, it's an iPad. Think of it like the, a retail iPad kiosk. That's essentially what we have, except this one's locked down and directly linked into our, our now, now our new telehealth software. And so patients walk in and if it's already turned on and I'm there, they basically see my, my face on an iPad and we have a visit. If I think back to the start of kind of March, start of April, there was a bunch of weeks where we would talk and you had mentioned being kind of like surrounded by various iPad bits uh, in, your, in your working space. Um, so what do you need to set up for this kind of kiosk if you're thinking about doing this in your practice? Good, good question. I was going to not tell you the specifics. So what we use are iPad Pros, and we use those because we can get a much better network connection. So all of these are hardwired in. So I'm going to get a little technical. So we needed to get a specific hub for that. And so that allows us to get a, a more stable, we don't have to worry about Wi-Fi connections and such. And then we have the kiosk, sort of the stand itself, and those were ordered from Amazon. And they are, like I said, they're designed for retail. I think we'll probably put links in the show notes. I don't know, probably about a foot tall and rotatable. And they, the ones we have, you can lock the iPad into them and then you can lock the whole stand down. So they're, they're bolted into the desk. And uh, cables, that's it. So a power cable and a network cable. And then the software we've used is called doxy.me. And it's, it's a software, uh, basically it's entirely web-based. So we can run that through Safari on the browser. And then the last part that we've done is we've used a feature inside of the, the iPad software called guided access. And it's, it's buried away, but you can turn it on. And essentially what you can do is lock down the iPad. So we essentially only have one button on the screen that you can tap, which is to reload the telehealth Doxy Me. And then on the back end of Doxy, we've got uh, it all set up for our clinic. So Morgan, is there any other software that you would uh, recommend or, or consider thinking about? Other options like Zoom, there's anything that would have an app on the tablet should be, should be usable. If someone's interested in, in doing this and actually kind of putting together this sort of virtual kiosk, about how much does, does it cost? So, so the ones we put together are probably about fourteen or $1,500. If you went, went cheaper, you certainly can. Uh, you know, using an iPad, just a regular iPad instead of the Pro is definitely cheaper. And if you were able to use Wi-Fi, then you wouldn't need the, the dongle and stuff. So it would drop a lot. But I think the way we went was, is more robust and it'll last longer. That's great. And it's good to know that it won't break the bank to get these set up. So this seems to be an idea that's applicable to multiple contexts. I'm wondering what other places you think this kind of solution could be used in. Other supportive housing units could have something like this. So for, for people who are perhaps in, in larger, um, larger groups, but uh, not just in the inner city, right? So it could be assisted living or long-term care facilities. You know, they may already have telehealth set up by their health region, but, but if not, this is it's not expensive and it's a way to get uh, the different connections in from your community providers, from your family doctors and, and your primary care providers into those facilities. And obviously the other thing in, in those situations as well, which we, we haven't done this, but you could, you could open up the kiosk for, for family to connect as well. 
Can you give me an example of what's working well for you right now uh, with virtual visits with your patients? First couple of patients were people that I knew. And for me to see them, it suddenly realized like, oh my gosh, I, feel, I felt disconnected and didn't realize it until I saw them. And I think, I, I like to think it was sort of mutual that there was like, oh, okay, I can go talk to Dr. Price. And uh, the first couple of conversations were you know, really big about, oh, how much has changed since the last time I saw you? Because so much in what, what was happening in the shelter and what was happening in people's lives and what was happening in my own life had changed. And so for us to be able to share that or look in each other's eyes and say, oh my gosh, yeah, the world's shifted a lot to then shift and say, okay, how are you coping? And have that, that part of the conversation. So it, it felt really uh, important to that connection. Uh, and that I, I may have had on the phone, but uh, I think the way we set it up, that people could come in, they could sit down, they had their own space, made all the difference. What do you think has been the biggest challenge getting people used to seeing you virtually? You know, for, for me, it's not been bad. I think, I think there's been a few, uh, a few people that have, have, maybe they've come in and they've been very quick. And I don't know if, if they would have been quite so quick if it was in person. I think that that's been a challenge. It's, sometimes it's hard to, to crack the, the veneer. The other hard thing is not about the patients so, so much so far, but it's been about the occasional technology glitch. If it works, it's super simple. You basically turn it on and then you press one button and then type in your name. So it's, it's as simple as it can be. But then if it doesn't quite work or if somebody tries to do something different, then it might go a little bit sideways. So what's the most surprising thing um, that you've learned since you started using the kiosks? How hard it is to see people's feet from a kiosk that's bolted to the desk up above. Um, sorry, tongue in cheek, but I, I had uh, three out of four people in a row that all had like cellulitis in their feet. And they're like, oh my gosh, you got to see. And I, I can't see their foot and they can't figure out where the camera quite, where to put their foot. So thankfully nobody fell and hit their head. That was what I was most worried about. But in seriousness, though, I think with for patients, they, yeah, it's, it's actually been pretty smooth. And uh, they, they seem happy to be able to connect as opposed to not. And, you know, the other thing that I was thinking, I'll just add one more, is that, I, I mean, I made that decision to stay virtual once I finished the self-isolation. And that was that's a personal uh, decision. And uh, my patients have been so supportive. And that's been marvelous to see, too. So do you think this is going to stick around post-COVID as, as a, a way of offering virtual care to patients? Well, we bolted it down pretty well, so I don't think it's going anywhere. Uh, but no, in seriousness, I, I think it will be. So I think post-COVID, there's a couple of things about this. One is that the accessibility for others is there. But for me, you know, generally I've gone in for, you know, a certain period of time. And then occasionally there's people during the week that would be great to assess, but I just I'm not going to go back to the shelter once on a on a Thursday afternoon. It's just not feasible, but it is feasible with telehealth. So that that touch base, that um, urgent assessment, and it could be by me or it could be by one of the other outreach team members, that we can absolutely do with telehealth. And so I, I could see us as this expands, that we kind of have one of us on telehealth that could then be available on call for multiple housing units across Victoria using using these kiosks. So thanks, Morgan. It's been great to hear more about uh, your experience in setting up these virtual kiosks in the shelters in Victoria. And I think it's just, it's so important to be thinking about uh, how we can make virtual care more inclusive, more accessible, um, and remove some of those barriers for otherwise marginalized populations who can have challenges uh, accessing uh, telehealth in other ways. So thanks so much. 
And we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Primary Care in a Pandemic. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 